Father, remind us today of the lambs in our place who shed his blood that ours would not be shed for our sin and saved us. Remind us of the lamb and the promise that we can trust. In Christ's name, amen. Turn to Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. As we read this very familiar story about Abraham, Isaac, God, and a ram. Let us let me read and you follow along in your Bibles. Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac and and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place for of which God had told him on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar then Abraham said to his young men stay stay here with the donkey I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The Advent series this year will focus on the Lamb of God. The Lamb promised the lamb foretold, the lamb identified, the lamb sacrificed, and on Christmas Eve we will conclude with the lamb victorious. Today we focus on the promise of the lamb, our substitute, and the outline is simply the test, the substitute, and the promise. First, God's test revealed Abraham's faith, but God's testing 
was perplexing. When I was a young boy, I dreamed of being a professional golfer. I grew up in golf country, North Carolina. I attended the Greater Greensboro Open as a kid with my father, a, a, a part of the PGA Tour. And one Christmas, I was given a set of Jack Nicklaus signature golf clubs. How could I not realize my dream after all of that? My dream, however, faced the sobering reality. I lacked ability, natural, learned, or otherwise. I was, I am, I will be, even in heaven, a terrible golfer. In Genesis 22, Abraham's faith faced God's perplexity. Abraham's faith faced the reality that God's ways are oftentimes perplexing to us. Dr. Ralph Davis said of Genesis 22, faith must face the perplexity of God. And what do you do in such circumstances? That really is the question for us today. What do we do when faith faces perplexity? God was perplexing in at least three ways in this story. The first way is that God told Abraham to commit a human sacrifice, to make a human sacrifice. It seems as though God is going against his own will, his own moral law in this instance. Secondly, God asked a father to kill his only son. What kind of God would ask a father to do such a thing? It's perplexing. And then, in Abraham killing Isaac, what in the world was God thinking? It was Isaac that God said would carry on the covenant line. And he's asking Abraham to take him out? Faith faces perplexities in this story. What was God doing? Abraham found it very baffling. And so must we. Genesis 22.5 that we just read records Abraham telling the servants, Hey, listen, I'm going to take my son and we're going on to offer this sacrifice, but we will return. Both of us will return. And then when we look at the New Testament, especially Hebrews chapter 11, we, we find a clear explanation of why Abraham said that in Genesis 22, verse 5. The writers of Hebrews 11. And <clears throat> verse 19 tells us that Abraham believed that God would raise his son from the dead if he, if he killed him. But having said that, we must understand just how gut-wrenching God's command was to Abraham. We must appreciate the fact 
that even though Abraham believed that God would raise him from the dead, according to Hebrews, and that indeed both of them would return to the servants, we need to see just how gut-wrenching this command was for Abraham to plunge a knife into his son and then burn him on the altar. Think about that. How did Abraham respond? How did Abraham pass the test of faith? Look at verses 3 through 8. This is actually kind of funny in a way. Uh, One of the reasons I, I, I just love Genesis 22 is because it is void of emotion. Have you noticed that? And uh, it is just, give me the facts, the facts only, ma'am. Didn't someone say that in the past? Or character, I should say. But verses 3 through 8, it, it, it is just, Abraham did this, he did that, and he did that. So, so, so we read that he secured the supplies, he enlisted the young men to help he got his son they verse three they they had headed out to the land of moriah after a three-day journey abraham saw the place where god had told him to the go he uh he, he instructed the men to stay there abraham had already um, gotten the wood together the fire the you know, everything that he needed everything was prepared just just the facts are given there there is absolutely no petition by Abraham to say hey God you want to rethink this it's a bit baffling to me Uh, we, we we don't see any deep grappling with what God was calling Abraham to do he just went all right let's go boy there really wasn't much of a at least the text doesn't tell us that, that there was much of a debate or struggle within Abraham to actually make the decision to obey God. And so as they stand there, Abraham tells the young men to stay with the donkeys, and Abraham loaded the wood on Isaac to carry, took the knife and the fire for the burnt offering verses 5 through 6 and then in verse 8 Abraham says and we'll deal with Isaac's question in the second point but for now Abraham said God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering my son and of course the climax of the passage is there they reach the top Abraham builds the altar places the wood on it, binds Isaac, (laughs) places Isaac on the wood, and I'm sure Isaac, well, I'm not sure, I have no idea, but I can only conjecture that that Isaac was thinking, uh, uh, Dad, uh, you, you said God will provide a lamb. Is the lamb me? As his father takes the knife in his hand and raises it, ready to follow through with what God told him to do, to plunge that knife into his son and then to burn him, to burn his body on that altar. 
And the only thing that, that interposed uh, for Isaac <laughs> was in verses 11 through 12, the angel's declaration that made it clear that, that Abraham had every intention to carry out God's command, but the angel stayed Abraham's hand and stopped him from offering his son. Now, I just want to bring this to our day today and just let you know that you and I are not covenant heads like Abraham. In fact, Abraham's particular situation is not our situation. He is, he is a covenant head. He is acting as that in this passage. But as God's people, though, we do face trials. We do face the test of faith similarly. And here is the test. It is trusting God and obeying him in the face of perplexity. Do we find God perplexing? If you have ever asked the why question, you have found God perplexing. And I would be shocked to find anyone here who has not in some way, at, at some point in time, ask that question, why God? God, you promised me good. You promised me blessing. You promised me a future. You promised me victory. Why must I continue to struggle with sin and maybe this persistent sin? Why? Do I suffer? I'm doing everything you have asked of me. Why do I struggle financially? I practice over and above tithing. Why are my children not walking with the Lord? I raise them to have a heart for God. Why do I suffer loss? my loved one, and now am I alone, my job, my reputation, my joy. How are we to respond when we run headlong into God's perplexity and life becomes very, very disorienting? IFR, that's Instrument Flight Rules Rated Pilots, just ask Henry if you need more information about this as a pilot. <laughs> but IFR rated pilots learn to fly in the most disorienting situations in an airplane, in the clouds, where they have no visual cues whatsoever, no visual sight of the horizon. It can be very, very disorienting. You, you are trained not, not to make decisions based on your senses, but to make decisions based on your instruments. How do we respond when we face perplexity? How do we respond when life seems like we're flying in the clouds? And our natural tendencies may be this, but yet God is telling us to do that. Well, we trust our instruments. We trust God. And we obey him. 
the reason verses 3 through 8 read much like a boring, emotion, emotionless, very facts-based checklist is because the point is to emphasize not understanding, not being able to connect the dots, not being able to see into the future and have an idea of, oh, okay, this is why God is doing that. No, in the moment when faith faces perplexity, we pass the test by simply obeying. I say simply obeying, not to indicate obeying is simple, but that obeying is what we do and nothing else. That's what Abraham did. The text emphasizes that. He obeyed to the most minute of details. <laughs> and so should we. I'm going to rewrite a stanza of a beloved hymn in the hymnal and probably will lose my job because of it. But it is the hymn, Trust and Obey. I have a Genesis 22 version of the fourth stanza of trust and obey. Trust and, I mean, of, of the refrain of trust and obey. The, the stanza reads in our hymnal, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be what? Happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Here's the Genesis 22 version. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to face God's perplexity in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Frankly, the Genesis 22 version is more compatible with real life because that's where we live. Faith facing perplexity. And we are called to trust and obey. Abraham would come to see God's provision of a ram for Isaac would show God's promise of a lamb for sinners. Second, God's substitute of a ram for Isaac revealed God's purposes to Abraham. Now back in 1983, Renee and I, our faith faced perplexity. Many of you know this story, but I was finishing up a graduate degree in chemistry. Renee was finishing up her undergraduate degree in teaching and doing student teaching. We, we had the trajectory of our life as a relatively newly, well, as a very newly married couple, actually, just a year, right? Uh, we had our life trajectory set. Teaching chemistry. Not that Renee would teach chemistry, not that I would teach kindergartners, but teaching chemistry. And then there was a missions conference at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church, a church we were attending in Knoxville. And Renee and I began to sense God's call to full-time Christian work. And of course, me being somewhat more the analytical, have an analytical mind, seminary was the logical next step, further training. And so I finished out my graduate degree, Renee finished up her student teaching, 
and off we went to Boston, north of Boston, and Gordon Conwell. I have to tell you, we went. It, 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 it wasn't like Abraham and Isaac going to Mount, the land of Moriah, but it, it was similar in that we went, and there's a lot of perplexing things about that. We just simply obeyed. It was perplexing because all I knew is I was going to seminary because that seemed like the logical next step. I needed theological training. I had been in sciences. I'd never written a theological anything. And so we went, I, I, I really, and, and seminary actually proved to be somewhat of, of like flying in the clouds for us, a, a, a bit disorienting. I had no idea why God, I knew God was calling me to full-time Christian work, but I, but I didn't know to what he was calling me. And much of my seminary career, it, it was like faith-facing perplexity. And then to boot it all, I thought to myself, you know, throughout my seminary career, and there have been times throughout the past, I've said, my goodness, I spent all that time training to be a chemist, being in the sciences. And then all of a sudden, God just changed the complete course of my, it made no sense to me. And it didn't really make sense to me when I was in seminary. I just had a sense that was what I was called to do, and I did it. By God's grace, let me tell you, a lot of grace. And I grappled with that. And I think Renee did too, probably less than I did, because she's just, I think she just has more faith than I do, but at least at that time. But, but, but the question was, why God? Why would you allow me to go through all this? And, and let me tell you something, graduate level chemistry is not fun. Why did you allow me to go through all of that and then you take me to seminary, which had its own set of challenges? I, I just felt somewhat disoriented. I, I really didn't get it. The dots were not connecting for me. And it wasn't until really my last semester that I began having a heart for the pastor, believe it or not. That's just how flying in the clouds I was. And... And the point I want to make is when I came to covenant, I found that bit by bit, little by little, God was beginning to reveal some of his ways to me. I found my science background was very useful in pastoring a church like covenant especially with all the medical people <laughs> in this church. I even found my experience in college working in a hospital has been invaluable to me as I have navigated the halls of hospitals in Little Rock for over 30 years. We will never know all that is in and around and behind God's purposes But he does, in time, begin to shed some light on those things that are perplexing to us. What was revealed to Abraham? You know, some, some may read this passage of Scripture and <clears throat> read this narrative wrongly in my judgment. I, I do not view that, that Isaac 
is to be taken as a Christ figure. Some suggest he should be, but I don't believe that. Uh, when, when he carried the wood up to Mount Moriah, I mean, we, we are tempted to think of Jesus carrying that heavy cross up to Golgotha when, when, when Pops uh, tied his hands and put him on the wood. We, we, I mean, I have to admit, it's tempting for me to go to Jesus being lifted up on that cross. And so I get it. You can read this story and see Isaac as a Christ figure, but I don't believe that is what is going on here. And here's the reason why. The narrative clearly shows that Isaac needed a substitute lest he die. Isaac represented not Christ, but all Israel. And he represents every sinner including you and me, sinners who need a substitute lest they die. As they walked up the mountain, Isaac was a bit perplexed. And so we come again to verse 7. Hey, Dad, <laughs> I see everything that is necessary for this sacrifice and the burnt offering, but one thing... In fact, Dad, the most important thing, where is the lamb that is going to be sacrificed? And that response that we read earlier, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What in the world was going through Isaac's mind? The verb translated provide in, in verse 8 is a really interesting verb. It, it literally means to see and can mean to provide. Again, Ralph Davis so, so ably interprets this verb as see to it. He, he would say, he would uh, translate the Hebrew, God will see to it for himself, the lamb. See to it. He will take care of it, is a more common translation of that. And then after the angel stopped Abraham from actually plunging the, the knife into Isaac and commended Abraham for his obedience, verse 12. In verse 13, Abraham turned around, looked, and saw a ram with his horns caught in the thicket. The ram could not get away because the ram was God's provision for Isaac. I just want to think about that for a moment. There's no way that ram was getting away. God said, I will provide, I will see to it, and he did. And, and I want us to think about this. There is no way that our sins are not going to be atoned for in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? God will see to it. He will take care of it. There's a certainty and a surety in this narrative about this substitute that God provides. Abraham's knife-welding hand, however, was not stayed. It was stayed for Isaac, but not for the ram. 
here's an important aspect of this narrative. Blood had to be spilt. There's no way around it. It was not Isaac's blood that was spilt, but it was a substitute's blood that was spilt. Abraham set out to the land of Moriah, mystified at God's perplexity, but willing to obey. On that mountain before the altar, he gained insight. Something became clear to Abraham that wasn't clear before climbing that mountain and putting his son on that altar. And what was clear is the principle of a substitute. It's God's plan of a provision of a lamb, a substitute for sinners. God's provision of a ram for Isaac shows the promise of God's provision of a lamb for sinners. That became clear to Abraham, though it wasn't clear as he was walking to the place. And there's much in your life and my life today that is not clear. And God may in time shed some light on it, but irrespective of that, like Abraham, we are called to trust in the promise of God and obey. For there's no other way to face God's perplexity in Jesus than to trust and obey. And his promise, his sure and certain promise is a substitute for us, for every sinner on the cross. That as we sang, that we might go free. And God's provision revealed, thirdly, the promise. The promise was a provision of a lamb as the substitute in the sinner's place. You know, the Christmas story that we're about to celebrate, we actually begin celebrating today in a very real sense, is really a tender story, mother, father, birth of a child, cradle, celebration, joy, all, all those things that, I mean, our hearts are just warmed this time of year as we just think about baby Jesus and, and all that is involved with that. But the harsh reality is Jesus was born to set thy people free, as we sang earlier, and the way that he set his people free was to be the Lamb of God who is our substitute on the cross, who shed his blood in place of our blood being shed to redeem us from our sins. That's the Christmas story. And that's what we must keep in mind as we celebrate Advent and celebrate Christmas. It is a, it really, the story is... God seeing to it, God providing a lamb as our substitute. That's the promise that I believe is reflected in Genesis chapter 22. God promised Abraham, I will see to it. The provision God made in the ram points to the promise of his provision of a lamb in the place of sinners. God saw to it. In Genesis 22, 16 through 17, God assures Abraham of his blessing and that Abraham, that through Abraham and through Isaac, all of his covenant promises will continue. Because you have done this, 
Abraham. You have trusted, you have obeyed, and have not withheld your son, your only son. The covenant line will continue through you and through your son Isaac. One commentator said this, what God kept Abraham from doing, that is sacrificing his only son, God himself did in sacrificing his only son for sinners. Do you see that connection? Tom read from Romans 8. Romans 8, 31 and 32 reflects the confidence that Abraham had as he reflected back on God seeing to it and providing a ram in the place of Isaac. But it's not a ram in the place of Isaac, it's the Lamb of God in the place of sinners like you and me. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Abraham was commended because he was willing to spare his own son, but his hand was stayed. And here Paul picks up on that and says, but God the Father was not only willing to give his own son, but gave his own son for our redemption. And if God loves us that much, how would, not, how would he not also graciously give us all things? Abraham journeyed to the mountain with his only son, facing God's perplexity, and he left assured of God's promise of good because God said, I will see to it. I will provide a substitute for my people. One event in my ministry that remains, that's in my mind, and I'll never forget it, <clears throat> took place. One of those border mission trips that we had some years ago, where we took a medical team across the border in, into Mexico, and we were at this particular village, and the mayor, at least <laughs> I think he was the mayor, probably unelected, but nonetheless, he seemed like a mayor to me, wanted to, uh, the people wanted to thank us for coming there. And so he went out and he slaughtered a, a goat. A goat's pretty good, actually, when you're on a mission trip. Slaughtered a goat, and they cooked it and served it to us later. But while, while the goat was cooking, uh, through an interpreter, I was sharing the gospel with, with this man, this mayor, this leader of the community, and my eyes just kept going to his shirt because on his shirt was just splattered the blood of this goat that he had just recently slaughtered and dressed out and was preparing on an open fire. And as I was sharing with him about the fact that, that Jesus died for us on the cross died in our place so that we would not have to pay for our own sin. And he shed his blood so that we would not have to shed our blood to pay. Not that our blood would pay for much of anything, to be quite frank about it. But sin demands 
a death, a payment. And I was sharing with him, I have no idea, I was using an interpreter, I really didn't know what the interpreter was saying. And I have no idea if this man caught the fact that he was either going to pay, he was either going to have to give his life for his sin or a substitute. I, I don't know, but I, I, I tell you what I do know is that in my own mind and heart, the principle of substitution, the, what Genesis 22 points to, the promise, the blood on his shirt was not his blood. It was that goat's blood. And you know, the blood that covers you and me today is not our blood. It's the blood of the lamb. And because of that, we are free. Because of that, we are redeemed. Because of that, we live. Because of that, we are forgiven. We have a future. We have a hope. Because of that substitute, because the blood that covers you and me is not our blood, but Jesus' blood, God has seen to it to do us eternal good, redemption. This Advent and Christmas, may we reflect on God's provision of the Lamb as a substitute who suffered my death and spilt his blood in my place for my eternal good. And if you are here today, and you have never trusted in Jesus, you have never contemplated the fact that one day you will stand to give an account of the way that you have lived. And a payment for your sin will need to be rendered. And what the gospel says, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will satisfy that payment for you as your substitute. And so if, if you're here today, the, the, the greatest gift that you have been offered, the greatest gift that you can receive is to trust in the Lamb of God, the substitute for sinners, the one promised, and as we work through this series, the one who actually atoned for our sins by shedding his own blood. Would you turn to him in faith and trust him and be free? God's provision of a ram for Isaac shows God's promise of a lamb for sinners. And the sinner is you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful story that reminds us of what we already have. The promise has been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection and his ascension and we benefit from that today. 
we thank you for it. But Father, also this story tells us that so much of life, even for the redeemed person, is perplexing. Enable us to trust and obey as we face your perplexity. In Jesus' name, amen.